0: Turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 to get us started tonight. Romans chapter 8. While you're turning there, I want to find another verse also to make mention of. Romans Romans chapter 8. Before I read that though, it's um, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity. How in the world can they do that? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. The scripture says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, you'll notice there in verse 29, he said, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, notice, to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you are saved, you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The same Jesus that I am predestinated to be conformed in his image. He is making us alike. I go back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. It's been a few years since I brought this thought but I want you to meditate upon it, not just now, but also through the week, some truths that we need to get a hold of. Did you ever hear sometimes people make statements about our practice or a church's practice or people's practice? And when you first hear it, it's, it's, it's something that bothers you, and this is kind of a reaction against something you feel a little uneasy about. And you say, well, yeah, that's right, that's good. But then you think about it, and after a while, you come to the conclusion, well, that's that's a pretty dumb thought. I mean, a lot of times, you even have to repeat it yourself before you realize how ignorant it really is. Uh, for instance, there are people that like to complain about what they call easy believism. Now, easy believism, I think most of them would take it to be this, that uh, it's harder than just asking Jesus to save you. Uh, you've got, they would definitely strongly use the word repentance in that. You've got to understand more than just your need to trust Christ as Savior. But, and yet, I, I read the book, and the book makes it very plain. It's easy to believe. Right. Right. The book of John, the purpose of the book of John, it says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, he might have life through his name. Now, understand what the term easy believism was born out of. And it's the soul winning programs that tell people uh, that just simply read a verse, say, do you believe it? And they say, yes, they believe it. And they say, well, therefore, you're saved. And, and yet there's been absolutely no change made in their life or in their heart. Uh, there's none of the change talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and hold all things are become new. And just praying a prayer doesn't save anybody. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. But believing is easy. Do you understand? Believing is easy. I I, I call, the thing I'm against, I'm against easy prayerism. I am for easy believism. I believe a child can get saved. I believe young children can get saved. I believe it's easy to believe. When I came to the place where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me, he saved me. Now, I know someone's going to say, well, what about repentance? And don't get upset with me now, but I look at Peter. Are you telling me he preached two different messages in the book of Acts? Because in Acts chapter 2, he was asked by the Jews that he was preaching to. Uh, they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I said, see, right there, he said, repent, man. You've got to say repent. But that same Peter, when you get over to Acts chapter 10, is talking to Cornelius and his entire house. And to Cornelius, to Cornelius he says... In verse 43, says to him, that's to Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. He doesn't even use the word repent. Now, it's the same Peter. He had people get saved on the day of Pentecost when he said repent and didn't say believe. He had people get saved in Acts chapter 10 went to the whole house of Cornelius and they were filled with the Holy Spirit as proof that they had trusted Christ as Savior and he never used the word repent. By the way, both of those are great Bible words. There's nothing wrong with either one. In Acts chapter 2, however, if you look at what Peter preached, he told these people that they were guilty of rejecting Christ and crucifying him. Well, if you repent of rejecting him, what have you done? You believe. Cornelius had not rejected him. And so he used the term believe and not repent. It kills me some of these people say, no, no, you've, you've got to use this word. You've got to use that word. Peter used two different words. They both worked. Because they were the same thing. That's what it comes down to. Anyway, I got a little off there on easy believism, but so you'll understand. I do believe it's easy to get saved. When a little girl got saved today in junior church, that was easy. We've seen a lot of people get saved, and it's easy to get saved. The people who usually stay outside are trying to come up with something hard. It's easy to believe. Or, this always kills me when you hear somebody, because perhaps the deacons have gone along with something that they didn't go along with. Oh, those deacons, they're just yes men. They do whatever the pastor wants. Oh, you want all the deacons to be no men. That's what you want them to be, really? And the church is going to move ahead how? If you've got a bunch of no men. I mean, this isn't Republican and Democrats here. We're not not fighting for control. You understand what we're trying to do is do the work of the Lord. And we bathe that in prayer, not propaganda. But people say some of the dumbest things and think... That boy, that just makes them sound even more righteous when all it does is just make them sound stupid. How about this saying? Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've never met one of those. I've never met, I I don't know anybody whose problem is they're too earthly, are too heavenly minded. I've met a whole lot of people, though, that were too earthly minded, so that they were no heavenly good. But if you're heavenly-minded like you ought to be, you will be good for the earth. You're you're the salt of the earth. That's what what we're there for. A few years ago, we had a student in our Bible college, bless his heart. Good guy, good guy, not a bad guy. Good guy, felt called to preach and praise the Lord for that. And uh, he was in our Bible college, but... You know, a lot of people have trouble with the strictness of Independent Baptists, although there are, very, there are fewer and fewer Independent Baptist Churches that have any strictness about it. But nevertheless, uh, they just felt it was a little confining. And uh, he was taking one of my classes, and in the class I had an essay question. I don't remember exactly what the question was, but an essay question for any of the students to be able to say whatever it is that they wanted to say on it. And he said, well, one of the problems with fundamentalism is that they tend to want to make everybody a Christian robot. You know, all saying the same thing, doing the same thing, not glorying in our individual individuality, but wanting to make everyone the same. And I thought, I wonder where he heard that at. And I'm sure it sounded good to him when he heard it. But he didn't think about it. He didn't think about it in the light of Scripture. The exact term that that he said was fundamentalism creates Christian robots. So uh, people who are all saying the same thing, taking away their individuality. Now, my question becomes, when I hear something like that, is that good or bad, what does the Bible say? Is that good or bad, what does the Bible say? When we were lost... All of us were going our own way. And how was that doing for us? When we were lost. After all, all, broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction. But narrow is the gate and the way that leadeth to life everlasting. Obviously, there's a sense in which we are all different. I'm still amazed. I, I look around here. Everybody here's got one nose. Everybody here's got two eyes. Whether they can see out of them or not, that may be another matter, Brother Wally, but still. Everybody's got two ears. Everybody's got one mouth. Some are used more than others, but that's another message in itself. But isn't it amazing how many different faces God makes out of two eyes, a nose, and a mouth? The different things he does with the eyes. I mean, it's amazing. And basically, most people are born with two arms and two legs. You know, we got ten fingers and ten toes. But, and yet, God, in all of that sameness, does make individuals. So there is a sense that we are all different. He makes us, by the way, different parts in the body of Christ. Everybody's not a pastor. Well, that'd be a mess, having a bunch of pastors in the church, wouldn't it? everybody was a pastor, everybody's not a pastor. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives us all different gifts. So in that way, there is individuality. But I look here, he wants the same thing out of all of us. To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for me. That's God's will for everybody in this building that's born again. Is that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Same Christ. Remember when Jesus ascended up into heaven and the angels appeared to the disciples. that were watching as he went up and they said, this same Jesus is coming again. Same. Je- it's the same Jesus that God's making me like that he's making Brother Ross like. He's making Brother Jeff like. He's making Brother Popwell like. Same Jesus. That's his goal. Not the goal for us to be us, but for us to be like him. Every one of us. Well, that leads me then to the second point. When he comes back, we will be made all alike. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I just want you to think about these things tonight. Notice in verse 2, he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Wow. For we shall see him as he is. You see, now are we the sons of God, The scripture says, and when he appears, we're all going to be made like him. I'm not going to be made like me. I'm going to be made like him. There's a problem with me. There's a problem with you. He's always going to make us like him because there's no problem with him. He's right. As a matter of fact, go over to the book of Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three. And I want you to notice beginning in verse 13. Philippians chapter 3. It helps if we understand these things so we know what God's wanting to work in us. He says in chapter 3 and verse, uh, let me see, let me get the right uh, verse that I want down here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16. We'll start there. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by, now notice this, the same rule. You mean we're supposed to walk by the same rule? That's what he said. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and I'll tell you even weeping that they... Are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, whose, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We're going to be like him. Not only that, we are to have the same mind. If you look over at chapter 2, verse 5, he says this to the believers. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, he goes on to explain what he's talking about here in the passage. But the point is this. He wants this mind in all of us. He wants the same mind in each one of us. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Not division. Division. You remember, there was a carnal problem at Corinth, chapters 1 through 4. They were a divided church, not a unified church, not together. In Romans 15 and verse 6, he says that ye may, now just listen carefully to these verses. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we meet together at night, we're not sitting here to complain about one another. We are here to glorify God together with our mouth. Come to church and you get off in the corner You start talking about people and things you don't like and this and that, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, that doesn't glorify the Lord. Get right with God. That's not what we're about. We are not about that. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. One mind. Obviously, we're talking about being controlled by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, for it's the Word of God that was given to us by the Spirit of God. He tells us in um, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Now get this that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. It is what the church is about. One spirit. One mind. Philippians 2.2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord. And of one mind. Man, there are a lot of verses. First Peter 3.8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is phenomenal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, that Paul, he just always wants us to be like him. Notice what he says. Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Now, if he is following Christ, and I follow him, who am I also following then? Christ. If he is following Christ, and I'm not following him, am I following Christ? No. Well, there goes my individuality. No. No. Not at all. We are to speak the same things. I, you know, I, I have to confess that there are times I wondered did God write a verse in the Bible that he did not mean? I mean, is this some pie in the sky thought? Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is an absolutely amazing verse. And of all things, he is writing it to a carnal Church, he calls them carnal in chapter 3. He says, for I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So these first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with this division that there was among them. Everybody had their own little thing, you know, that was very important to them. And you'll notice in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that sounds important to me. Does that sound important to you? Sounds important to me. He says, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there only be a few divisions among you, I'm sorry, I had a spell there for a second. I mean, I, I, come on now. I've been a Baptist pastor for almost 48 years. I don't know that I ever remember a time when there were no divisions. <laughs> this is phenomenal. We can get a spotlight out, shine it on that verse, put it up here on the screen. No, I'm not, don't put it up on the screen, but you know what I'm saying. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I didn't write it. I never would have thought it was possible. But if he's commanding the church to do it, it should be. If we're going to be what he wants us to be. He was not rejoicing in their individuality. He was rebuking them for it. Now, in their particular case, each one had their favorite preachers. And what's amazing to me about this, Brother Weeks, is that the preachers that are mentioned here all agreed with one another. And yet they were divided on which one was their favorite. But they all agreed with one another. The people didn't. Some had Paul as their favorite. Some had Peter. Some had Apollos as their favorite. And some, no, no, I only follow Christ. But if Paul is following Christ and you're not following Paul, how are you following Christ? As we say, of course, in the South, this is not rocket science. He was not rejoicing in their individuality. Matter of fact, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a shame. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the case where there was a man in the church, member of the church, who was committing immorality with his father's wife. So we would assume the way it's worded is stepmother, more than likely. Can't prove that exactly, but I'd say more than likely that was true. If you look in verse 2, he says, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily I, I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Here's an amazing thing. This was something the church was agreed on that it was okay. And they were wrong. In other words, it's not okay to agree on wrong. We're to agree on right. The one thing they're agreed on. And they're wrong. So, guess what? When they got together, they were to agree on discipline on that member of the church. They were to say the same thing about it that Paul was saying about it. Same thing. This isn't a matter of a church vote. He said you do this as a church. The whole church was to do it together. Should be no cause for a split and something like that because the church is taking a united stand against sin as it should. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says flee fornication, he makes it very plain. He tells us why fornication is so wicked, why it's so wrong, why it is so bad. It takes, a member, it takes a member of Christ and makes them one with a harlot. They take that body which has been purchased by Christ and they become one. He makes it very, very plain. Everybody should have the same stand on that. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and turn over there. This is good. This is just good stuff. I'm just trying to teach you some things tonight. Now, as I prepared, re-prepared this message, I should say, from years and years ago, um, I had nobody in mind. I still have nobody in mind. So if you're feeling bad right now, you might want to get right with God. Because this is not meant to pick on anybody. Uh, That's an interesting term right there. He says, all right, now notice how he begins this. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. It's never right. Don't care how much you're in love. It's wickedness. It's wrong. It's always wrong. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God and you're not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Now although we've got a chapter division, we do not have a change in subject. He's dealing with fornication. He continues on now. He just laid the groundwork for what he's about to say. Now, concerning the things wherever he wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid what? Fornication. See, he hasn't changed the subject. Let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. What is it good? That they don't touch before they get married. It's good. If they never touch, they'll never commit fornication. I mean, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Because in order to commit fornication, you have to touch. Now, I didn't write it. Didn't sneak into your house and change your Bible. It's what it says. The whole church should be saying the same thing about it. Every parent should be saying the same thing about it. Well, I don't see what's wrong with little neck and petting. Read your Bible. Your problem is you haven't read your Bible. Get in your Bible. Before you get married, you're not to be touching. Not to be kissing. Not to be holding hands. Why? To avoid fornication. It's what he says. I'm I'm just giving you, what did he say back in chapter 1? I need to read that again. Let's make sure I get this. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This isn't hard. Well, I just disagree with Brother Allison. I'm not the problem. I didn't write it. God wrote it. It's not me. You're having a problem with. The Problem you're having is with God. I believe this is God's word, every bit of it. I believe He wrote exactly what He meant, and if we're to say the same thing, I'm going to agree with whatever He, with whatever he said. In 1 Corinthians chapter eight through chapter ten, He talks about eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Chapters eight through ten all go together. He starts in chapter 8 with where the people thought that they were and the argument that they were giving to eat meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Now, these people thought they were spiritual, but he's already called them carnal. So we've got a carnal church that he's talking to. They thought it was perfectly fine. The Holy Spirit of God in Acts chapter 15, 50 A.D. at the Jerusalem Council already spoke on the matter that they were not to eat meat offered in sacrifice to idols. The Holy Spirit had said that. He's God. He doesn't change. It's still wrong. And he uses the term weak and strong. Like since these people felt they were strong. They felt that those who wouldn't eat meat offered to idols were weak in the faith. Now I don't believe that's the case. Because Paul calls himself weak in this matter. And I don't believe the Corinthians were stronger Christians than Paul was. So he gets down to verse... 11, and through uh, let me, uh, verse 10 of chapter 8. For if any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye, notice, not they, he doesn't say when they, he says when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. I would say to sin against Christ is a serious matter. And then in chapter 9, he goes through three things that were perfectly all right for Paul to do that Paul did not do. One of those was he did not take an offering or take money from the Corinthians to support him in the ministry. And he gives the biblical reasons why it would have been all right for him to do it. But he didn't do it because he didn't want to be an offense to the Corinthians. He didn't lead about a wife like Peter did, although that would have been fine. But he didn't want to be an offense to the Corinthians. But then he gets to chapter 10. He goes back to the Old Testament. He talks about the things that were done in the Old Testament that are recorded for our admonition so that we not be like the Jews were or Israel in the wilderness and offend God. Now notice what he says. In verse 14. chapter 10. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, and for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. Now get this. He's bringing the argument home. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? We all ought to have the same mind about eating meat offered in sacrificed to idols. We ought to be against it. Holy Spirit of God is against it. You say, well, that's not much of an issue in this country. Well, it's becoming one. When you see on a meat package in any of the grocery stores around here, halal meats, you're talking about meats that when the animal was killed... It was sacrificed to Allah of Islam. And believe me, there are a lot of places, stores, I could name a bunch of stores right now, where you can get halal meat. It says it right on the package. I'm just saying, ladies, you better check. We're not to have a part in it. Now, with all that God has said about it, you would think all believers would be saying the same thing. Unfortunately, they're not. Why? They haven't read their Bible. They don't want to read their Bible because they don't want God to tell them no about anything. And that's really the problem. Somebody's telling me I can't. I'm going to do whatever I can do. Well, hey, do it. See how it works for you. Do you realize in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, here's a chapter that deals with the resurrection. Our whole salvation Is tied into the truth of the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then our faith is vain, we are yet in our sins, and all those who've fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And yet he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, He's saying this to the church at Corinth, How say some of you there is no resurrection? What were they doing in the church? I mean, this is as fundamental a doctrine. Well, they must have had a sorry pastor. Paul started that church. Paul taught them better. Where they come up, came up with these weird ideas, he doesn't tell us. But it was wrong. And this is the church he's saying. You're all to speak the same thing. You're to have the same mind. Yeah, there are things we're supposed to agree on as a church. By the way, the very fact that most of our Baptist churches have a covenant lets us know that they had intended early on to practice saying the same thing. We should be saying the same thing that's in the covenant of the church. We covenant together to act a certain way or do a certain thing. So I've covered, we we are to speak the same things and we are to be mimickers of the same God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, I I was really thinking about taking it real easy tonight. And I thought when I had picked this message, I had. It it sounded different in my office than it sounds sounds up here. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, be ye therefore... Followers of God as dear children. Now, what on earth does that mean? Be followers of God. Uh, you know, I don't refer to the Greek very often. Sometimes the Greek word does give us a little fuller understanding. I think we see it in the English. But, but the word that's translated followers is the same word that we, that we the, the same word if we transliterate it would be mimic. Now, everybody who's got a brother or sister, you've done that from time to time. Um, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, where they just copy one another? They're just mimicking. Irritating. Just, just mimicking. They hit, they hit back, so on, all that kind of stuff. They're just, he says, He's saying be a mimicker of God. Be like God. Be followers of God as dear children. He wants us to be... Like him, Well, we've already seen that we are to be like him. But notice what he goes on to say. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, he's not done. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. We're going to read on, but wait just a second. As soon as he tells us to be mimickers of God and to walk in love, he tells us what not to do. He gives us things very plainly that we are not not supposed to do. If we're going to be mimickers of God, we won't do these things. And We're to agree on this. We're to say the same thing. Notice he says, but fornication or all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once." Name among you. There goes our individuality right out the window. Well, I don't see what's wrong if I if I if if I'm covetous. Well, you're not right with God. If you're covetous. <sighs> then he goes on, he doesn't stop though. He says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving him thanks. For this ye know, this is something that we all know. Every one of us know this. He says, for this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's interesting that immediately after he tells us that we're to be mimickers of God, he tells us things we're not to do. Now, he gives us some reasons for what he's going to say back in chapter 4. So back up. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to be endeavoring to be this way. There is one body... One spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You notice we don't baptize ten different ways. We baptize one way. That's by immersion. Amen. Sprinkling is not baptism. Uh, One God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then he tells us why he gave certain gifts to the church. You get down to verse 11, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, notice this. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And speaking the truth in love. In love. And we have such a spirit today in our whole world. We want to tell everybody off. Everybody who disagrees about anything, we want to tell them off. Well, that may be fine out in the world, but it's not fine in the house of God. Speaking the truth in love. May grow up unto him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, noticed, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplyeth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And then guess what he does next? He tells us how not to walk. We're not to walk in darkness. This is such a strong teaching throughout our New Testament. We see in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. You see, that's why it's important that a pastor continue to just stand on straight, sound, hard doctrine and not budge. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We have to be careful because people come in on purpose to lead people astray. They come in for that. And one of the shepherd's jobs is to point out the wolves. To get rid of the leaven of false doctrine. It's not to be there. With one mind, the church is to move forward winning the lost. Reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. We should be saying the same thing as the Word of God. Now that's why we stand on the Bible we stand on. I've said it thousands of times, I'm sure, from this pulpit. You change the words of the Bible, you change the thoughts of the Bible. I've got a word-for-word Bible. that People are all excited about this ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's simply the Calvinist Bible. They did not like what the King James said because it didn't say what they believed. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Didn't say God loved the elect, said he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God gives man a choice, the ESV just changes a few little words. And suddenly you've got a Calvinist Bible. That's exactly the same thing that the Jehovah's Witnesses did with their New World Translation. They didn't like what it said, so they just came up with a new translation. So they could slip in Jehovah's Witness doctrine. So that's why we don't budge on the word of God. We can't. I've got the truth. To go to something else would mean I'm going to a lie. Things that are different are not the same. This is plain. Madison Baptist Church for 40 years now has a history of standing for God's truth. It'd be great if it go that way at least another 40 years or 120 years. But there are a lot of places that I went to that were great places years ago that I can't even go back to today because they stopped standing on the truth. We're not budging. We're not just accepting every little wind of doctrine that flies about. We're standing, thus saith the Lord. Just look at what God says here. Quit playing with the words. Quit playing with the thoughts. And let's say the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. God, help us to stand. Help us to stand in our own lives. Help us to stand in our families. Help us to stand in our church. Dear God, please, we have a great task ahead. I thank God for all the missionaries that we've been able to support. Thank you for this dear brother and his wife and his family. Lord, that we've been able to support them living in such a difficult, difficult place just physically to live in, to serve you. Thank you we've been able to support him and support those that are out of our church. God, may we continue to do that. May we not back down. Understand this is not the day to change. This is the day to just simply shore up the foundations and decide we're not moving. Have your way in our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name.